Okay, please rise for the ringing of God's word. We're in 1 John chapter 2, last few verses, verse 28. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Says this, this is the apostle John speaking. By the way, if you need a Bible, raise your hand nice and high and someone will come and give you a Bible. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children. That's how John addresses the reader. He's an older man at this point. Abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you knew that he is If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, chapter 3, verse 1, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this word. And we pray, Lord, that you would lead us into all truth. Your word says, sanctify us, make us holy by your truth. Thy word is the truth, Lord. We, we are made like you through your word. Oh, it's our heart this morning to be made like you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So verse 28 begins again, now my little children abide in him, him, capital H, abide in Jesus. I want to talk about that for a, while, for a while, that word abide, what does that mean? It means, it means fellowship, it's one of those Words that's difficult to translate. The Bible, the New Testament written in Greek. There's some Greek words that there's not really an equivalent. The word abide, it means fellowship. Now, we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through 1 John. Remember, at the beginning of this letter, John states why he's writing it. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, we write these things to you so that you can know how to have fellowship with God so that you may know how to have a relationship with him so that you may know how to live with him so so that you'll know how to abide with him another word for fellowship abide so that you may know how to live with God not with God way up there and you down here wondering who he is and what he thinks about you no with God living in you through you and with you Now, little children, verse 28, abide in him. So question time, why did God create you? Why did God create you? 
if ever there's a question you must know the answer to, that's it. Why did God create you? Did he create you in order for you to serve him? Answer, no. Did he create you in order for you to obey him? Answer, no. Did he create you in order for you to do his will? Answer, no. Think about your father and mother. And by the way, in, 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 they're called children here. Verse 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we may be called children of God. Do you think your, your father and mother brought you into the world, your biological father and mother brought you into the world in order for you to serve them? No. Do you think your father and mother brought you into the world for you to obey them? No. Do you think your father and mother brought you into the world in order for you to do their will? No. Neither is the case with God. He created you so that he could have fellowship with you. there's any question you must know the answer to, it's that one. Why did God create you? I love Isaiah 43 because the chapter talks about this um, verse by verse, the whole chapter. It speaks, why did God create you? Isaiah 43. It says this, so thus says the Lord who created you. This is Isaiah 43. I have called you by your name. You are mine. So that, so he created us, he created you so that you may know me and believe me and understand that I am he. So why did God create you? I broke it down, just like uh, ninth grade grammar for you right here. I broke it down. It says, I created you so that you, this is what um, verse 10 there says in Isaiah 43, so that you may know me so that you may believe me, and so that you understand that I am he. This is God speaking to you. So that you may know me. That word, know, K-N-O-W. It's the Hebrew word, yada. It speaks of knowing someone intimately. Uh, Genesis 4, verse 1 says, Adam knew Eve. Same word, yada, Eve. Adam knew Eve and conceived Cain. It's an intimacy. I created you so that you may know me intimately, so that you may believe me and understand that I am he. I am who? The God who loves you, the God of justice, the God who provides for you, the God of wrath, the God of mercy. I created you so that you may know me Believe me and understand that I am he. That is why God created you. Now, in the course of your fellowship, are you going to serve him? Of course you are. Are you going to obey him? Absolutely. Are you going to do his will? You better. If you don't, you won't have fellowship with him. You won't be able to abide. But to be sure, those things are all byproducts of fellowship, serving obeying, doing his will. So again, verse 28, 1 John 2, and now little children, abide, 
abide. Abide in him. Abide. It's a John word. And by that I mean it appears 17 times in the New Testament. 15 of those times it's used by John. It's a John word. Many of you are familiar with the word from the gospel of John. John chapter 15. John chapter 15 uh, verse 1 says this. Now this is Jesus speaking here. Remember John speaking of himself in the in, in the gospel of John says he was the apostle whom Jesus loved. They had an intimacy. He knew intimacy uh, with Jesus. And so in his letter, all he's really doing is he is a follow-up of what he heard from his master, his Lord, his friend himself. Uh, John chapter 15 verse 1 says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples as the father loved me. I also have loved you. Abide in my love. So it's not only a John word, it's a Jesus word. This word abide. Now, we were in these verses about one year ago in in John chapter 15. We came up with this definition of abide or abiding uh, with Jesus. Abiding in Jesus equals an unseparated, fully shared life with Jesus. Abiding in Jesus means an unseparated, fully shared life. Life with Jesus. Now, remember, John, in 1 John, spent a lot of time talking earlier in the letter about light and darkness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And so we discuss what John means when he used that term darkness. Darkness is any area of your life that you're shutting God out, that you're refusing to let him in. So when John says, abide in me, when it says in 1 John 2, 28, abide in him, it just means you're allowing Jesus into every area of your life. Every area of your life. You're, you're allowing him in. It means every dark corner of your life, you're exposing to the light of the light of the world. There's a sign that says, welcome Jesus, please come in over every door of every room of your life. 
and our rooms. There's all kinds of rooms. You guys know what I'm talking about. All kinds of compartments of, of your life. And people say, I don't mix business and religion. Well, people who say that are not abiding with Jesus. They don't, wanna, they don't want the light of Jesus to come into their business. Abide in me means, means a life that is fully shared, not partially shared, fully shared with God. We try to pretend like there's certain parts of our life he can't see and we don't let him in there. No, that's not abiding. One last thing on this word, abide. I'm trying to get to the end of our first verse this morning, verse 28. (laughs) Abiding in Jesus means you have an unseparated, fully shared life with Jesus and you stay there. You re remain there. In fact, that word remain is what is used in many translations. If you have the NIV version, it uses the word remain in John 15 throughout where Jesus is saying, abide in me. It says, remain in me. It means you remain there in that relationship, no revolving door, no in and out, in and out, in and out. It's you remain with him, not a little time, but forever. Look at verse 25 of 1 John chapter 2. It says this, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. It's a forever thing. It's not on again off again. It's always again. Little children, verse 28 says, abide in him. He's telling him, he's at the end of his life now, towards the end of his life, and he's saying, please, just live with him. Share everything with him. Allow Allow him into every area of your life. Uh, Abide with him. That when he appears, the verse continues, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You want a floodlight, the floodlight of Jesus in every area of your life so that when he comes, when he appears, he's not going to be shining into all kinds of darkness in your life. That You're not going to be ashamed at his coming. Now, never far away from John's mind, by the way, never far away from his mind is the fact that Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back at any moment. Now, why is that never far away from John's mind? Well, one, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And really, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in everybody's life, including yours. This is a work that the Lord wants to do. He wants the the Holy Spirit to to do a work in your life that you just walk in the understanding that at any moment, Jesus may return. But John also this may have been top of mind for him because it's, it's really the last thing he heard from Jesus. The last thing the disciples heard on the night before Jesus' crucifixion, 
he repeatedly told them that I gotta leave you, but I'm gonna return. When I go, John 14, 3, I will prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he preached the kingdom for 40 days in his resurrected body. In Acts chapter 1, he was taken up into heaven and all the disciples, including John, were looking up and all of a sudden they noticed next to them, there's an angel, and the angel says this in Acts 1.11. He says, hey, guys, why do you stand up there looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he's going to come back just as you saw him go up. So John here, he's living his life like Jesus could come any moment. He says, abide in him so that when he comes back, you're not going to be ashamed before him. That you won't be ashamed. Now listen, this is important. Notice it doesn't say that when he comes, so that when he comes back, he'll he'll be ashamed of you. That's really important because this is this this actually this verse has been very much twisted up by teachers of the Bible, really all around the world. It doesn't say. Abide in him so that when he appears, he won't be ashamed at you. That's impossible. Because when Jesus sees you, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, he sees you as perfect, as blameless. He sees you no different than um, the father sees his own son, Jesus. However, it says, it doesn't say that, it says, It says, abide in him, live in him, dwell in him, so that when he appears, you won't be ashamed. That you won't be ashamed. Listen, don't you want to bless the Lord when he comes? Don't you want to bless the Lord? Do you want to be cursing at some person in the middle of Boston who's cutting you off at the second Jesus is coming? Is that really, do you want to be in a porn site? When Jesus comes, do you want to be ripping someone off? Do you want to be, you know, cheating on your taxes or whatever, right in the middle of your tax return? Ooh, I got them on this one. Federal government, they don't, they've stolen so much money from me. They don't need any more money. All of a sudden, Jesus comes, ashamed. He says, no, abide in him. Let, let his light into every, let the light of the world into every area of your life so that when he appears, verse 28, you won't be ashamed before him at his coming. He's not going to be ashamed of you. Please don't be ashamed when he comes. Verse 29 says, now if you know that he is righteous, You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If you know that he is righteous, and we do, of course, speaking of Jesus, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, this is important. You know, we we need to develop a different way of reading things and understanding things 
as we grow in our understanding of the Word of God. When it says practicing righteousness, it says every, everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. We see that phrase practicing, uh, that phrase rather, practicing righteousness. And, and, you know, we think of following a code of conduct, obeying a set of rules. But remember what we said about the word abide. It means just letting Jesus into every area of your life. When you see that word practicing righteousness, it means practicing Jesus. It means living out Jesus' life. When you see that word righteousness in the Bible, don't think of rules. Don't think of right and wrong. Think of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Our ideas of right and wrong, they always fall short. Practicing righteousness means practicing Jesus, abiding with him, living with him, allowing Jesus the light of the world into every area of your life. Now, when I, when I became uh, a Christian, it was right before I got married. Stephanie and I got married. We, we, we moved up to Atlanta, Georgia. I was born up here in Boston, moved away when I was nine, lived all around the place, and then moved back up here about 20 years ago. But at the time, new, brand new believer, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. And man, the, the problem sometimes with a new believer in Christ, particularly when they see this verse, it says, he who practices righteousness is born of God. They say, oh, that means I really better practice righteousness. Otherwise, I may not be born of God. And so they, they go out and do what is familiar to them. What is right and what is wrong, and I got to stick with that. That way I can really know that I'm born of God. And I remember I, we lived in northwest Atlanta, and there was this road that went from north West Atlanta, down into downtown Atlanta where I worked, and it was called Atlanta Road. Has anyone here ever been on Atlanta Road? Okay. Well, here's one, my wife. (laughs) She's been on Atlanta Road. Well, Atlanta Road used to be the main route from Atlanta to basically the northwest. You just go up Atlanta, uh, you go from Atlanta, I think, like, all the way to Tennessee or something, on, on Atlanta Road. And it's a four-lane road. It's a big, wide road. But the thing is, when they put in an interstate, they put in an interstate around Atlanta, and then an interstate right through Atlanta, and an interstate um, from north to south, an interstate from east to west, and then one around it, this Atlanta road became completely obsolete. So there was not a whole lot of traffic. This is like this old road. They never even... They, didn't bother paving it after the interstate came in. And, and, but I would go to work. I loved it because no one was on it. Because the interstates were all there. But you know what the problem was? No one ever bothered changing the speed limit signs. They were tw- it was 25 miles an hour. <laughs> and I was late to work every day. 
then I was a new Christian and I was reading verses like you have to practice righteousness. Otherwise, you're not born of God. And for the life of me, trying to drive 25 miles an hour on a four-lane road when there's no traffic. <laughs> oh, man. And, and, and the thing is, listen, I was miserable. Has anyone ever been there? I was miserable because I just thought that's what I had to do to prove to myself that I was born of God. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and break the speed limit. But what I am telling you is if your focus is on that, you're going to be miserable. That's why he says, abide in him. It's about living with Jesus. Otherwise, your religion is no different than any other religion in the world. They all say obey the speed limit. Your faith, not, it's not a religion, is about following Jesus. He who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, speaking of John words, and John words really are just Jesus' words, but that one's another John word, right? Born, born of God. Uses it all the time. Proportionally, or the number of times that word born of God, it's John. He's, he's, the, he's the guy who uses it a lot. The Gospel of John, we see born again. We see born of God, born of the Spirit. And here in, in this um, letter, he uses it six times. This phrase, born of God. Now, if you've never heard this phrase or this saying, you need to hear it and you need to have it branded into your heart. Many of you have heard this. Jesus did not come to make good men better. He came to make dead men alive. That was so important. Jesus didn't, let me just flip that. Jesus did not come to make bad people less bad. He came to make dead men alive. Jesus did not come to make you a better woman. He came to make you a new woman. Jesus did, came not to give you a better life. He came to exchange his life for yours. That word born, what does it imply? Anybody? It, it implies that prior to being born, you were what? You were not alive. It implies that you were not alive. Ephesians 2, verse 1, says this. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. A trespass is a violation of God's law. Sin is a violation of God's law. This is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, people who had been born of God, and he said, you he made alive when they placed their faith, their trust in what Jesus Christ had done for them on the cross. You who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, some of you in this room, you're in a whole heap of trouble. Because you're not alive from God's perspective. 
the Bible doesn't teach that you come out of your mother's womb with this little light of life, this God life in, 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 in your heart. No, it says that you came out of your mother's womb with a shaking fist in your heart. It actually says in the book of Romans chapter five that you came out of your, your mother's womb as an enemy of God. Because you insisted on having things your way from the very moment you came out of the womb. Ask any new mother or father whether that's the case. It absolutely is. And I didn't teach my kids how to lie, cheat, and steal. Man, they started doing that when they were two, three years old. Where did they learn that? They came out of the womb like that. The Bible says, Jesus says, you must be born again if you ever want to see the kingdom of God. In John chapter 3, same guy who wrote this letter, different book. One of the most powerful, prominent religious teachers of the Bible in Israel came to Jesus and Jesus told him, unless you you, unless you, guy's name was Nicodemus, unless you, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, unless a man is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, what do you mean? I have to go up back into my mother's room? He goes, no. He said, unless a man to, to, to inherit heaven, inherit the kingdom of God, must not only be born of the flesh, he must be born of God. Same chapter, he explains how to become born of God. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, this is Jesus speaking, that whoever believes in him would not perish eternally, but would have eternal life forever, life eternal with God. It says, and he who believes in God has eternal life, but he who does not believe, the anger, the wrath of God remains on them. You need to be born of God. Otherwise, the wrath of God, the anger of God rests on you. That's just the Bible teaching. Don't throw spears at me. That's just Jesus' teaching. God's holy, and he requires satisfaction for the violations of the law against him. And that satisfaction can only be done in the perfect life of his son, in the death of his son who died in our place and in the resurrection. In Jesus Christ, the justice of God was satisfied. And by placing our faith in him, we become born again. It says, Everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Chapter three, verse one says, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Actually, a very similar word. That word children means born ones. Behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Of God. Those who had been enemies of God are now children of God. 
What manner of love? That word manner, a very, very interesting word in the original language. It means country. What? Behold, what country of love? Meaning the, the, the idea there is, is what, this is a foreign thing. What a foreign kind of love. It's like a love that comes from a foreign land that the Father has bestowed on us that we should, that he should now call us a child of God. You know, I was um, reading um, an article online a couple months ago in eight, April. A teacher in New Jersey, a third grade teacher by the name of Marilyn Zuniga, she had her third grade class, all the students, write a get well letter to an inmate who had been convicted of killing a Philadelphia police officer. His name is Mumia Abu Jamal. And he was a Black Panther, or former Black Panther. The Black Panthers was a group of men, predominantly men, there were some women as well, who were proponents of the violent overthrow of the United States government, the Black Panthers. And the, so this t- the, he, he, had been, he, he had been convicted for killing a police officer in 1981, and he had been in jail ever since. And so she had her third graders send a get well card to him, and when it got out in the press, there was just this terrible outrage. And she, she, she had her kids send these letters to a cop killer? A Black Panther? You gotta be kidding me. And there's all these quotes um, in the uh, articles about the, how twisted this logic was and she was glorifying um, this, uh, this, this man and glorifying... Uh, these things and uh, uh, glorifying murder and violence. And uh, it was interesting, you know, it's unclear what her motives were, but on one, uh, one of the programs on television, uh, this, there was a bunch of commentators and they were, the impression that I get from reading the article is that everyone's expressing outrage and they turned to one person and they said, now what on earth would you tell your kids um, if, if that happened to them? And the woman said, well, I would tell my kids, I'm glad that you did that. Because this man is an evil killer. And what he did was so wrong, but Jesus tells us to love our enemies. And here's an example of you forgiving someone who has done something that is so wrong. And of course, it's like, what? What? I wish we had known she was going to answer like that, that you know, type of thing. Uh, and, 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 but, but here's the deal. Behold what manner of love, what a foreign kind of love. It just so happens that Stephanie and I, crazy coincidence, we were actually friend of one of the friends with one of the founders of the Black Panther. He's been in our living room for dinner, Eldridge Cleaver. He was wonderfully and gloriously saved. And he'd shot at cops and who knows uh, how many people he murdered. He was on the run for years and years. And, and, um, but he, 
the Lord saved him. And let me tell you, he wasn't saved because someone presented him a, a, a human philosophy. No, you really shouldn't be doing those things. You really try to make your, you have to make yourself better. No. He was saved because he was told, God loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much he's willing to exchange his life for your life. Everything that you have done, all that murder, all that hatred, all that ugliness, he's willing to exchange it and, and, and for himself. And he's, he's willing to come inside of your life. He's knocking on the door of your heart and now come in. That's how he was saved. This is the kind of love that's going to save a guy sitting in prison. It's that kind of love. Behold what manner of love, John says, the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Then he goes on and says, therefore, the world does not know us because it does, did not know him. Now, what that means is this. As you grow in your abiding relationship with Jesus, asking Jesus to come into every area of your life, you're going to be looking more and more uh, like him. And over time, people aren't going to get you. They're not going to get you. Look at that woman. I don't get her. That's what they're going to be saying. John chapter 1 says that light of the world came into the world, but they did not comprehend him. It says, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And verse 2, it says, beloved, now we are children of God. Follow this closely. Now we are children of God, but it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, he's speaking again of Jesus' return, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The Bible says that now we see Jesus as in a mirror that's dimly lit. In other words, we don't have a full picture. The Bible also says that we're impaired. As much as we read this Bible, we read the word of God, as much as we abide with Jesus and live with him, we're impaired because the Bible says we, we live in what's called, the Bible, the New Testament calls the flesh or the old nature, the sinful nature. It's still um, a, a part of us. <laughs> it's still a part of us. Good catch over there, Mike. But it's, it says that when Jesus comes back, and this is called a mystery in the Bible, it says that we will be raised incorruptible we will be changed the mortal body will put on immortality 
a good deal of our life, we were driving with our eyes closed. When we got saved, we could see our eyes were open, but they're still impaired. Our vision is still impaired because we're still in the body, we're still in the world, but when Jesus returns, our vision's no longer going to be impaired. It says because we're going to see him like he is. Again, let's read this verse. Beloved, verse two again. Now we, are tr- now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for sh- we shall see him as he is. First Corinthians 15, 51, verses 53 says this. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And when he says that, he means not everyone's going to die. The word sleep here is used for the word die. Not all of us are going to die, but we shall all be changed. Meaning whether you die or whether Jesus returns when you still are alive, everyone's going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. The Bible says that we will be given a new body. Now we live in a body which still has a sinful nature. Then we will be given a, a, a glorified body. There will be, it won't be defiled by sin we will understand Jesus so much better. Our intelligence of our mind, we won't be dabbling with the temptation we are, the dabbling with doubts, dabbling with with, with sorrow, overtaken by fear, overtaken by um, confusion and vexation. We will be raised incorruptible, it says. And then in verse three, and we'll end here, it says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Meaning, as the Holy Spirit does that work in your heart, and he's willing to do it, brothers and sisters, if you're willing and ask him, as he does that work in your heart, that at any moment, Jesus could come. He could come today. It says the beauty of that is that a man or woman will purify himself, will purify herself just as Jesus is pure. We don't want to be ashamed at his coming. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and just close this morning just with a worship song. If you've been asked to pray, please come up as well. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that what that we should be called children of God. We were we were once enemies and now we're children. We just want to use this this closing song just to to worship him to consider his love how foreign it is but how real it is and just to open your hearts up to God and and let let his life
come into every area of your life. If you are sitting here and you have never been born of God, I was not born of God or born again, born for the second time until I was 24 years old. If you are here and and that has never happened, it is a simple prayer of faith where you by faith ask Jesus to come into your heart. We'll be up here. You can come up and I'll pray with you. I will pray with you through that prayer. Yes, Jesus, I want to become born of God. Or if there's anything else on your mind that you just like to pray about, uh, just come on up. Why don't we rise for the closing uh, worship song? I'm going to pray and then uh, we will worship together. Lord, we just thank you. And we say to a man, to a woman, behold, what manner of love you have given us, that you have placed on us, that we should be called children of God. And Lord, I can just remember with my own children, some of them just holding them at a young age close to my heart. Just That's just a picture of you, Father, and the way you hold us as well. We just thank you for that. But Lord Jesus, we also thank you that not only held by you, that we're led by you, and we ask to be led just right out of this room this morning, Lord, and into the week, Lord, into our business, into our home, into our neighborhood, into our school.